Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Amen. As Pastor alluded to, we were able to take um, a, a group of students, 6th grade uh, 12 yesterday, to King's Dominion. We had a great time. Man, it was great weather. Couldn't have been more perfect. Maybe a little bit sunny for some of us more pasty folk, um, but it was it was a great time. We had a great time. It wasn't super crowded. We were able to just kind of almost walk on any ride until about noon, and then the line started picking up. But um, more importantly than that, we did have one student indicate that she had placed her faith in Jesus Christ. So, it, yeah, celebrate that. Yeah, that's a big thing. Listen, when, when, when kids um, placing their faith in Jesus becomes like dull and mundane to us, and, and it's like just a, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So celebrate that. Um, and more importantly, maybe even than that, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's pretty top tier, but we planted the seed with, you know, another 30 or so. Um, there was plenty of visitors. Um, so parents, do me a favor and just continue to water that seed at home. Um, continue to just try to cultivate and water what's, um, what the Lord planted yesterday. If you do me a favor while everybody's still getting settled in, would you just join me? Join me in a word of prayer this morning as we try to really focus in on the word of God. Father, we thank you um, for this morning. We thank you for the beautiful weather. We, we thank you for the one that placed her faith in Jesus yesterday. God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you that we can be forgiven of our sins. We thank you for your word, which tells us about you and about Jesus. God, I pray that now over these next few moments you would meet with us. God, cultivate the soil of our hearts in this time. So that your word may fall upon good ground over these next few moments, God. Use me, um, speak through me at this time. Sit me down. You stand up, glorify yourself through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I want to take a little bit different approach than we, we typically take this morning. This is kind of a communication no-no, but whatever, man. I'm, I've always been down to break the rules, so it's okay. Um, I just want, I want to give you the point of the sermon. Right? Like, I, I don't want you to have to search for it. I don't want you to fall asleep before you get to it. Um, so, like, I just want to start with the point, and I want to let this point just kind of, like, reign over our time today. So everything after this is like a sub-point to really try to drive home um, this, this point that I want to make, and it's this. Resurrection denotes authority. Oh, well, I had a few mm's. I, <laughs> hopefully, this begins to resonate through this word. Resurrection denotes authority. You'll find our text this morning in number 17, right? That's where, that's where we really want to make like the biggest point, um, really try to drive this home is out of number 17. But before we can really get into number 17, if you want to understand what's happening there, we, we have to look at it in the context of number 16, right? And then if we really, really want to understand number 16, we, we all kind of need a working, um, a working definition of the word priest, Right, so the word priest carries a couple meanings. First, it means one who mediates a religious service. It also means one who is holy or set apart in order to perform those services. 
Right? I mean, if I'm dirty and I'm getting ready to offer a sacrifice, right, so you can be cleansed of your sins, but I'm dirty, um, that, that sacrifice is going to be dirty before I can ever offer it to the Lord. So not only is it one who mediates those religious services between, um, you, you know, God and man who's, who's mediating those things, but who's also set himself apart so that he can be clean enough to even be worthy to offer that sacrifice. The first place that we find the word used in the Bible is in Genesis 14. If you remember the story, Abraham, friend of God, he entered into battle to rescue his nephew Lot. Lot had been captured. And upon his return, Abraham's met by Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God. Right? And this man, whose name literally means king of righteousness, he blesses Abraham, the Most High God, who gave victory to him. And in return for his blessing, Abraham gave a tithe, or 10%, of the spoils of the battle that they had just been in to Melchizedek. Right? And by this act, Abraham's acknowledging right, Melchizedek's high position as priest of God. Years later, we see um, Abraham's great-grandson, Levi. He's singled out by God, the father, to be the father of the priestly tribe, right? When the law is given on Mount Sinai, the Levites are identified as the servants of the tabernacle, right? When it's a family of Aaron becoming the priests. So the priests were responsible for making intercession to God for the people by offering the many sacrifices that the law required, Right? Among the priests was the one that was selected as the high priest. He was to enter into the most holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement. Right? And he would sprinkle blood um, on the, on the of the sacrifice onto the Ark of the Covenant. Right? And by these daily and even yearly sacrifices, the, the people were temporarily covered. Their sins were temporarily covered until the Messiah could return to take them away. Now, in regards to number 16... If you review the history of Israel, right, all the way from Egypt when they were in bondage, all the way to Canaan, the promised land, you'll discover that they get in trouble every single time that they resisted the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Right, every time that they begin to resist the people that God had put in place as authority, the people who were in charge, um, it tends to go wrong for them. They get in trouble. Whenever God sought to build up the people's faith by bringing them into a difficult situation, immediately they begin to complain. Immediately they begin to murmur. Immediately they rebelled against them. They blame them for their predicament. And then even they begin to plan the return back to Egypt. It'd be better if we were in bondage, they would say, over and over again. So number 16, it records this challenge of leadership, right? The leadership of Moses and of God's high priest, Aaron. Ultimately, it records the challenge of God's leadership himself, right? At the head of the rebellion, it seems to be a Levite man named Korah, verse 1 would suggest, who evidently, Korah was a notable leader himself. He had a few cronies underneath of him, but together they were able to gather the support or enlist the support of 250 uh, like kind of renowned men, right? Men who, who had maybe a little bit of standing themselves, leaders themselves. So they gather the support of another 250 and pick up with me in verse 2 of number 16. It says, And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And they said unto them, Ye take too much, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. 
Wherefore then, lift ye up yourselves above the, above the congregation of the Lord. Hey, listen, whenever you find complaining amongst God's people, here's what I've learned. There's, there's, usually, there's usually like a stated reason, and then there's the real reason. Right? There's a stated reason, and, and then there's the hidden reason, which is often the real reason. So Korah's public complaint is that Moses and Aaron, they're, they're running things. And they're not offering the people, like, um, they're, they're not offering them enough opportunities for their input. They just, they just want a little more democracy in the camp. I mean, after all, God dwelt among the entire camp. The, the whole people were a kingdom of priests, as it were. So who were Moses and Aaron to elevate themselves above everybody else? And the hidden reason, perhaps the real reason, was that Korah wanted the Levites to have the same privileges as Aaron and his sons, right? That's the reason why Moses asks in verse 10, he says, he being, he's speaking of God, he or God has bought thee near to him. He said, and all thy brother and the sons of Levi with thee, he said, and ye seek ye uh, the priesthood also? Listen, he wasn't satisfied with assisting the priest, he wanted, he wanted to be the priest. Right? He wasn't satisfied with the job that the Lord had given him. He wanted more. He wanted to actually um, be the priest. So, listen, whether it's an ancient camp of Israel where they were still like dwelling in tents or tabernacles, as the Bible calls them, or, or it's a modern-day city. Listen, no city can function without subordination. It just can't happen. Okay, listen, somebody's got to be in charge at home. It, the parents need to be in charge at home, okay? The teachers need to be in charge of the classroom, managers in the office, civil servants ought to have or be in charge of their area uh, uh, in the city or in the nation. Listen, when that breaks down, society is in serious, serious trouble. And like we get a firsthand view of that daily, seems like anymore. God chose Moses to be the leader of the nation and Aaron to be the high priest. And to resist this arrangement was to resist the leadership of God himself, was to resist God's will for the people and also cause serious division among the camp. Verse four says, and when Moses heard it, he fell on his face and he spoke in accord and to all the company saying, even tomorrow, the Lord will show who are his and who is holy. And he will cause him to come near unto him, even him. Whom he hath chose, he will cause to come near unto him. And so the test that Moses goes on to suggest or to offer or to propose was a simple one. If Korah and his men, they, were, they really are indeed priests, you really are acceptable in the Lord's sight for this service, you, you're going to be able on their own, um, bring your censers full of incense. And if you are priests, if you are chosen by God, you are holy, just, just as you said, we all are, right? If you really are chosen, bring your, bring your censers full of incense, and we'll see if the Lord really accepts your sacrifice. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, like, I feel like I've read this in Scripture somewhere before, and it didn't go well. You would be correct. You would be correct. See, um, it, was, it was two of Aaron's elder sons, Nadab and Abihu. They ventured to offer what the Bible calls strange fire before the Lord back in Leviticus 10. Their lifeless bodies were also carried out of the sanctuary as a result. Korah and the gang would have done well to remember that account. Do you understand? Perhaps they would have heard Moses make this suggestion, this proposal. Hey, if you really got it, you pack your censer full of incense, meet me at the tabernacle. They would have heard it. They would have repented. It's, nope, absolutely not. I remember what happened. It's not for me. You're the man. You got it. Right? They would have turned instead. 
Instead, we read that each man accepted the challenge, they filled a censer with incense, and they bought them to the tabernacle. Verse 28, pick up. It says, And Moses said, Hereby, ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do these works. For I have not done them in my own mind. If these men die a common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord makes a new thing, and the earth open up her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass that as he had made an end of speaking all of these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and to their goods. They and all that appertained unto them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed up upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all of Israel round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And, verse 35, there came a fire out from the Lord and consumed 250 men that offered the incense. And then verse 36, we read that God ordered Aaron's son, Eliezer, to go around and collect all the censers that had been used to offer the incense to them, this unauthorized incense. Take the censers, take the metal, and I want you to beat it into plates, and these plates are going to serve as a covering over the altar of burnt offerings. These plates were to be a lasting reminder to the people, as Hebrews 10.31 says, right? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. The plates were to be like a visual reminder to promote a healthy, healthy fear of God. This isn't popular, but you know there's some things, to be, some things it's okay to be afraid of. Right? Obviously, there's irrational fears. Right? I mean, we, we teach our kids that you shouldn't be afraid of the dark. Right? There's nothing like inherently bad in the dark. Right? Like, I know a lot of people have this fear, but we try to teach our kids you shouldn't be afraid of the dark. You shouldn't be afraid of the dentist. They're here to help. You shouldn't be afraid of the doctor. Right? They're, they're going to fix you. They're going to try to help. You shouldn't be afraid of a haircut. Not, your head's not going to fall off. Your ears aren't going to get cut off, right? Like, you, you shouldn't be afraid of these things. But then there are some things that we ought to be afraid of, right? We teach our kids, like, like don't touch that stove when I'm cooking. It's hot. You should be afraid when I have it on, right? Then, then we, we teach our kids, like, you, you should be afraid of strangers giving you things. Don't accept it. It's a stranger danger. Run away, right? There are things you should be afraid of. Now, obviously, like, there's, there needs to be a healthy balance between irrational and, and rational fears, Hey, we're in trouble when we lose our fear of the Lord. No, like, like we're, we're in trouble when we lose our fear of the Lord. You ever, you ever watch the news? God forbid. Like, you ever watch the news or you, you end up at the mall by accident? Like, that's a, that's a, you waited too long and now I can't get here in time and it's her birthday, so I have to go to the mall. That's, that's how you end up there by accident. So you're like, you ever watch the news or... Or you go to the mall by accident. Or maybe you're just at like a crowded restaurant. I don't, maybe for you it's you just look in the mirror and you think like, my goodness, we are stupid. <laughs> like, like, no, no, like, we are so dumb. You know, we're so informed as a society. We, we are more educated than we've ever been. Right? They, they estimate like a high school diploma is the equivalent like of our parents' like college degree. We, we are educated. We are informed, more informed than we've ever been as a society. How are we so dumb? 
Are we so dumb? My smartphone is dumb. Do you understand? Like, it, it went to sleep. It updated itself automatically. Now I have a pregnant man emoji on my phone. We're really informed. We're really dumb. Do you understand? We don't, we don't know what makes a man a man or a woman a woman. Listen, this is the tip of the iceberg. Do you understand? This is, this is the only thing that we can, we can see. This is a much bigger problem below the surface. Did you know um, that the Bible directly links knowledge and wisdom and understanding to our fear of the Lord? directly links it over and over. It's all throughout the scripture. Here's two of the verses. Proverbs 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 111, verse 10. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the good of understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. We seem to have lost our healthy fear of the Lord, and I think it's making us stupider. Right? We seem to have lost a healthy respect for his leaders. We're not even sure who's in charge. Jesus Christ is our high priest. You would think that the Lord had made it clear to everyone who was, who was there at number 16, who his leaders were, right? The earth opens up, its mouth swallows them whole, right? It swallows up Korah, all his associates, literally rains down fire and consumes the other 250 of them that went along with this, this rebellion, right? This, this insurrection, as it were. But verse 41 says that the entire congregation began to murmur against Moses and Aaron the next day. The next day saying that you've killed the people of the Lord, they still don't have any idea who's in charge. They still have no fear of God. They still have the nerve enough to put their finger in front of God's man and say, you did this. This is your fault. No regard for leadership, no respect for his will. After what they had just witnessed, they're still confused about who's in charge. Pick up verse 42. It said, and it came to pass that when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked towards the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Uh-oh. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell on their faces, and Moses and Aaron, they took a censer, or Moses told Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar. And put on incense and go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. And Aaron took his Moses commanded and he ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague that was begun among the people. And he put incense in and he made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and between the living and the plague was stayed. Verse 49 says, Now they that had died of the plague were 14,700 beside them that had died. And the matter, of course, is almost 15,000. And Aaron returned unto Moses and to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. Aaron the high priest rushed to make an atonement before the Lord on behalf of the people, literally heading off the plague. Literally, it said he's Stayed. He stayed the plague. He stood between the dead and between the living, heading off death. Listen to what Paul wrote. Um, listen to what Paul told Timothy about Jesus. After his death and his resurrection, and he ascends back into heaven. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, For there is one God and one mediator. 
between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 7 verse 24, it says, But this man, speaking of Jesus, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them the uttermost that um, came, unto him, uh, came unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest is become us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then the people's. For he did once when he offered himself. For the law maketh men high priests, and they have affirmities. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated forevermore. Jesus Christ is our high priest. Right? He stands in the gap, literally just says Aaron, between the dead and between the living. His sacrifice of himself on the cross makes it possible for us to escape the consequences of our sins. Literally heading off the plague, the curse of death. When Jesus was called our high priest, this was in reference to both the previously mentioned priesthoods. Like, like the Melchizedek, he's, he's ordained as priest apart from the law that was given to Moses on Sinai. He was before. Like the Levitical priesthood, Jesus offered a sacrifice to satisfy the law of God when he offered up himself. But unlike the Levitical priests, right, who had continually had to offer sacrifices over and over, Jesus' sacrifice, he only had to offer it once, gaining eternal redemption for all those who were able, um, to, for all those who would come unto him. Hebrews 10, 11, it says, um, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering sometimes um, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for the sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God because there was nothing else to do after that. Jesus is our high priest. He's, he's been given all authority, and God's word proves it. He was pointing to it back then, and it proves it to us right now. Listen, back to our passage. Back to our passage. By, the, by the time we get to number 17, God set out to prove once and for all who's in charge. Right? He set out to prove, listen, it was Aaron and his sons that were the chosen ones, and they were chosen by me to serve as priests. And God says it's through them, through those sacrifices on your behalf, that then now you're going to be able to stand before me. Without them, you have no chance. With them, you can stand before me. I'm going to put an end to all the murmurings and prove who I've chosen once and for all. Number 17, verse 1. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers. Of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, 12, rod, 12 rods. Write thou every man's name upon his rod, and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod um, shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom. And I will make to cease from among thee the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. He set out to prove once and for all. I'm going to show you who's in charge. I'm going to show you that it's only Aaron and his sons who were able to perform these sacrifices, the very sacrifices that are necessary for, to, to atone for your sins, right? And you have to have your sins atoned for if you ever want a shot of standing before me. And the test is a simple one. Right? 
Each leader is going to give, give Moses a, a staff, a rod, a dead branch cut off from a tree. It's not alive, in other words. Twelve rods plus Levi's, 13 in total. <clears throat> they would be put before the Lord in the tabernacle. And the rod that then sprouted, blossomed, or bloomed would be the one that belonged to God's man. It would be the one that was chosen to be the nation's priest. Verse 6. It says, Moses said unto the children of Israel, every one of them, their princes, gave him a rod, a piece for each prince one, according to their father's houses. Even 12 rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of the witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded, and it brought forth buds. And bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. So when Moses bought the staffs out the next day, Aaron's rod had not only budded, not, not only had it like little buds, but those buds had bloomed. And, and if that wasn't enough evidence, the, the buds that had bloomed then, then produced fruit. They literally produced a dead branch that was cut off is now producing fruit. What more evidence could they want? Like when the tribal leaders now picked up their dead, lifeless branch every day, they're reminded. This is God's man. When they picked up their dead, lifeless sticks, they're reminded God chose Aaron and his sons to be the mediators between us and between God. God made it known to everyone who his chosen mediator was. By what? Bringing something that was dead back to life. That's a resurrection. There was a dead branch that was cut off. It was useless. It was dead as a stick. He brought it back to life. God used a resurrection to prove that this is my chosen one. A resurrection proved to the people who is in charge. At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, right, right after he did the very first miracle that John ever recorded, right where he went to the marriage feast of Cana and he turned the water into wine, the very next thing he does is recorded in chapter 2. What does he do? He goes into the temple in Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple. Right? He sees, he sees they're making these sacrifices, right? He says it's like sheep and doves, all these things that are necessary, right? It's necessary sacrifices. They're just trying to make it easier for the people to come unto God. And he sees the money changers, right? And he, and he makes a whip and he drives them out and he flips the table and he throws their money on the ground. And then in verse 18 of John 2, this is how they responded. Then answered the Jews and they said unto him, what sign showest thou us? seeing that thou hast done these things. In other words, who died and made you in charge? Who died and made you king? You better show me some credentials. Come here telling me how I'm supposed to run this. Right, like I need to see a sign. If, I, if we're gonna change the way that we're able to stand before God, you need to show me proof that you have the authority to do this. Look at the very next verse. Here's what he tells them in verse 19. Jesus answered, he said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building. Wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. And when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said unto them. 
And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Listen, the Bible teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. That's, that's me, that's Pastor Greg. Every single one of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, 4 says this. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were what? Dead? When we were dead. Why? Because of our sins. Even then he hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace we're saved. His resurrection was proof. That's what he offered as proof that his mission is divine. Who died and made you king? How can you come in here and tell us how we're going to be able to stand before God? How can you come in and tell us that we're doing it wrong? We've been making these sacrifices. Who died? Who gave you uh, this authority as it were? You better give us a sign. I'm going to give you a sign, he says, and he offers his resurrection as the sign. That's why when he rose from the dead, right, he, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead on the third day, the empty tomb, we, ce- we celebrated it last week. It proves that he alone has authority. That's why when he comes back in Matthew 28, verse 18, right before we get to the, 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 the famous commission, as it were, the great commission, Jesus spoke to me and he says, what all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth? His resurrection proved who had the authority. The tragedies that, that are recorded in Numbers 16 and 17, they, they serve to the people as a reminder. Hopefully they serve as a reminder to us. We can't stand before God on our own. We can't just decide, I don't, I don't like this whole placing my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to do it how I please. We can't stand before God on our own. John 14, verse 6, it says, I'm, Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father, but what? But by me, he says. We can't stand before God on our own. He ascended back into heaven as our high priest where he stands in the gap between the dead and the living, heading off the curse of sin and the curse of death for all those who will place their faith in him. Jesus Christ is our high priest. Back to our passions. Consider what the people have just witnessed. Consider what they must have been feeling. Try to put yourself in their shoes. Listen, one chapter, two days. Korah and his close associates, there's sucked up off the earth like a spaghetti noodle, just gone, right in front of everybody. 250 men consumed by fire that rained down from heaven. The Bible says literally it consumed them. They evaporated, no no evidence, nothing, gone. You're fired, your services are no longer needed. (laughs) The next day, 14,700 people dropped dead on the spot from the plague, right? The plague of God's wrath. 15,000 people in one day, two days. Now God's given life to this rod of Aaron and it's proving that the, the people we came out and spoke against, the very people that we were murmuring against, complaining against all the time, they really were the ones that God had handpicked to be an authority. Careful complaining about Um, who's in authority all the time. Verse 12 says, And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever cometh unto anything near the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. We shall be consumed with dying. We're all going to die. A little overkill? 
little of an overreaction? Perhaps. Perhaps. But when they witness this dead thing come back to life and begin to produce fruit, um, um, they regain their healthy fear of the Lord in an instant. Gosh, I pray that the resurrection's done just that for us. If it hasn't, I pray that it begins to. I pray that it begins to produce this healthy fear. And we begin to understand, listen, just who's in charge. Last month on um, <clears throat> last month on March fourteenth, Meg and I went to the doctor together. This is like a this is like a normal bun in the oven checkup. But you could tell, at least I could in hindsight, honestly, when I look back, something was wrong almost instantly, you know. They had to switch to a different, um, different ultrasound machine. And the nurse, she took some measurements, but before walking out of the room, she, <clears throat> she turns to tell, I'm not a doctor, so I, I really can't say much. She said, your, your baby doesn't have a heartbeat. And then the doctor came in, and he just, he just explained some things, like some options that we have concerning her health. And he explained that probably the, the week before his heart had stopped beating. And we, we just felt so blindsided, man. Like we hadn't, there was nothing, there was, there was nothing to lead us to believe that there was anything wrong. Right, she hadn't experienced any complications. And, and listen, man, shout out to my wife. If you know my wife, she's, my wife's a triple OG, man. That's, just, that's the strongest person I know. Walked in, gave birth naturally, no drugs, like an hour. Gone, we was at home. Dude, you think she's prissy? She changed my mind. Hey, man, but shout out to my wife. She sat in the back that night because it was, it was Wednesday. You know, the show must go on. Balling while trying to preach to the kids. Some sermons are harder than others. And if that wasn't bad enough, you, you ever heard of throwing salt in the wound? My transmission went out the same day. <laughs> I'm not lying, man. My truck had less than 50,000 miles on it. Transmission just, I'll holler at you later, I'm out. We've been going through it, man. Nights are hard. So my son's in this stage where he wants my, my wife most of the time. She wants her and wants to cling on her all the time, but I still get to put him down for bed. It's really the only time his squirmy butt lets me hold on to him. <laughs> I mean, We read a book. And you drink some of his bottles still, and I rock them. And I pray over them every night. And then, and then when I'm done praying, he likes to take his finger and he pokes at my mouth. <laughs> and then I poke at it, 
and poke at it um, until I like, I give him a little snarl and a nibble. <laughs> and it gets a laugh every time. It gets a little giggle. And then I know doctrinally my prayer has some holes in it. But I ask God to tell my baby that I love him. And then I ask him if, if it's possible, if he just maybe play with him a little bit before he goes to bed. Maybe just give him a little nibble. You know, Jay really likes that. And, and, he, and then he laughs. We are broken people. The effects of sin are everywhere. Everywhere. And because we sin, because we have sinned, we go through it sometimes. And it hurts. And it's painful. But the resurrection is a reminder who's in charge. Listen, it doesn't, it doesn't make it any less painful in the moment. But because he's in charge, I can count it a joy, as the book of James says, to be able to go through these various trials knowing that ultimately God is using them to strengthen and perfect my faith. Because of the resurrection, not only can I be certain who's in charge and who has all the authority, not only here on earth, but also in heaven, I have a healthy fear of God that produces this awe and this reverence. But the resurrection also allows me to have hope. Right? Knowing that he's got the authority over sin and over death, I have hope of an eternity in heaven. Right? An eternity with the Father, free from this pain, free from the effects of sin and its curse. The hope that I see my baby. Jesus, through God from eternity, became a man in order to suffer death and serve as our high priest. And as man, he was subject to all the weaknesses, all the temptations that we are, so that he could personally relate to our struggles. It's Hebrews 4.15. Jesus is greater than any other priest. That's why Hebrews calls him our great high priest. That's 4.14. And he that gives us that because of him, because he is our great high priest, because he was subject to all the things that we were, all the temptations that we went through, that can give us the boldness to be able to come before his throne that we may obtain mercy and we may find grace in our time of need. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not able to know that you can stand before God because of your faith in Jesus Christ, because of your relationship in Jesus Christ, if you don't know that hope, why not today? I'm not standing here telling you it's going to take all your pain away. I'm not telling you your life is going to be perfect. You're never going to go through it again. But why not today? James tells us our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it's gone. 
it's called a moment because we don't know if it'll ever come back around. Right? Like, don't let this moment pass you by. If you've never placed your faith in him, why not today? Jesus Christ, he came to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on a cross. It made him the only worthy sacrifice for our sins. He was buried, so we know he was actually dead. He rose again on the third day. He conquered death and hell. His resurrection proved he's in charge. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. It's as simple as that because he's already done all the work. So, Man, if you haven't done it, why not today? Why not place your faith in him today? If we just had every head bow, um, right, and if you're a Christian, if you could just be praying, maybe for the ones in the room who've never placed their faith in Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with him, as I said, the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. I, I beg you, do it, do it right now. Call upon him. You say, Travis, I don't, I've never prayed. I've never prayed. I'm, I'm not religious. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know where to begin. You can just say a real simple prayer right to yourself, right where you're at. You say, dear God, um, God, I, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I, I need you. Please forgive me of my sins, God. God, I, I don't understand it all. I don't know it all, God. But please let like the best way I know how come in and be Lord and Savior of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name.